Hello all, and welcome to the latest episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Don Anelli, and with me tonight is my guest, Lee Turner. Hey guys, Lee Turner here with After Hour Cinema. I'm glad to join Don Anelli on the Horror Countdown Podcast. We've got a great slate of films lined up to discuss. Uh, again, be sure to check out After Hour Cinema. Airs every Friday night on our flagship station, Ocean 7. Also on Channel 48, WWON in New York on Sunday nights at 10 Eastern. And you can also find us in syndication on multiple channels from coast to coast, as well as sometimes on the Monster Channel and Betamax TV for all the best in classic horror and indie horror. Come to After Hour Cinema. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, glad to, to get you guys involved. Um, I mean, we were talking off air about a, being a big fan of your work. So I'm definitely glad that we got to do this. So tonight, what we are going to be discussing is our f- top 10 public domain horror movies. So these are copyright free. These are films that uh, anybody and everybody can uh, check out whenever they want to. They're free and uh, available in just about any format you want. So, yeah, go ahead. And, and uh, you know, this was your topic, your selection. Uh, if you have any um, opening remarks you want to say about uh, the topic at hand, why you chose it, uh, go ahead and feel free. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Again, one, this is a very hard list to narrow down. There's so many great public domain films. One thing when I was kind of crafting and formulating my list, I was kind of cognizant to kind of avoid some more of the films that might be a little more science fiction or futuristic, say something like the Idaho transfer or a film of that nature or the something like the astral factor which is more kind of paranormal not so much of a horror film i i kind of stuck this list kind of kept it solidly within the horror genre per se instead of kind of veering out into the thriller or paranormal or supernatural which sometimes there's a lot of crossover especially amongst uh horror hosts and horror historians and i consider myself a lot of people say i'm a horror host i'm more of a i consider myself more of a horror historian as opposed to a horror host that's uh uh, a, a good colleague out in Los Angeles, Joe Williamson, has always said that I was a horror historian as opposed to a horror host. And I, I tend to agree with that analysis. But I uh, wanted to kind of just keep it kind of square within that genre. And again, it was very hard to narrow down to narrow down to 10. And it really gets really interchangeable, kind of what I call the Mount Rushmore of public domain. You know, what are the true top four? And again, I think there's a arguments can be made on both sides uh when it comes to public domain horror and but again thankfully we have some of these great films and i'm very excited just as an aside that we're only a couple more years out from some of those classic universal monster films from the early 30s entering the public domain and that's going to be a a great thing for horror hosts and horror fans alike yeah um that's uh really interesting to hear yeah i'm a I was kind of surprised looking over the list that uh, there was a lot more um, that I believe the term would be um, heavy hitters that um, have entered the public domain because I'm pretty sure, I mean, most of us would probably assume what um, our number one and number two would be. Um, We shall save them for later just in case that there's any discrepancies. But um, I I assume when people say public domain, I think there's one or two or maybe even um, a, a handful of titles that would pop up. And 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of intrigued looking into this that uh, th there was a lot more um, really enjoyable and, um, you know, not necessarily ones that you think of as being public domain, but um, they actually are. So, yeah, this is a pretty fun one to uh, dive into. Um, some of the, you know, films, I, I, I think we will probably have a lot of crossover Um but uh, in either sense, yeah, there's a a lot more um, films out there than you think would be uh, considered public domain. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to uh, dive into this and uh, get our thoughts on some of these films, because, uh, like I said, there may be some crossover here, but uh, there's uh, a lot more out there than I think we'll uh, cover here that are still worth your time and are, are still, uh, you know, still need appreciation more than anything. So, uh I'm really excited to uh, dive in on this and uh, get our list going. Oh, absolutely. Me too. Looking forward to it again. I, I think you're going to see a lot of commonalities and a lot of kind of recurrent themes that are kind of popping up when we when the, when the we get into the list in short. So. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think that is the uh, cue to start. And uh, my number 10, uh, I went with uh, one of my favorites uh, from this particular period. And uh, yeah, I, I I did kind of try to veer out um, out of this particular span of time as much as I tried, uh, as much as I can. But um, I, I I fell into a habit of uh, finding this particular section of the genre really interesting and really fascinating. And my number ten is 1963's The Terror. Oh, excellent choice. Jack Nicholson, Boris Karloff, a yeah. Roger Corman production that kind of had of a, a potpourri of directors when you studied that film's history. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, Corman is the credited one, but um, I, I mean, everybody from Nicholson himself to uh, Francis Ford Coppola, um, Jack Hill is said to have directed stuff. Um, I, I mean, there's like five or six names that pop up when you look into the backstory on this. And also, it, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Don. I was going to say, it's really hard to tell when you watch the finished product that there's so many cooks in the kitchen because it's a really fun tale. And, you know, the, the simplicity of everything being kept in the one location, the gothic locales are really fascinating. And I, I'm a big fan of the genre myself. I, I love gothic horror. So um, it was always one that... It, it pulled me in um, more so than anything, but then, you know, like you said, just the, the, the backstory to everything kind of just gives it this extra really like intriguing, like this intriguing factor that, uh, you know, just kind of enhances the film and makes it a little bit of fun. So. Again, I, great points, especially about all the cooks in the kitchen. One thing that I found interesting about the Terra, it's my understanding from my research that Corman tried to go back years later and shoot some additional scenes and recut it to try to take it out of the public domain and make it a derivative work. I'm not really sure if that really happened or not, but it's certainly a horror host favorite. The one thing about the Terra, a lot of people lump it in with the the Poe Gothic series, but it's not based on an Edgar Allan Poe. It's my understanding Corman was just wanting to use these castle sets and they were taking down the sets as they were shooting and wrapping up. It was just a way to, you know, salvage another film out of some pre-existing sets and uh, the cast and crew that he had available. Fascinating storytelling, especially just to see a young Jack Nicholson actually appearing opposite his then wife at the time. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I had heard that Corman did that on numerous occasions where um, I, I believe another one he did that with was uh, Creature from the Haunted Sea, which was something that was shot after um, he had finished his main film. And it was just something that he would do to recapture extra funding just because he had, uh, you know, leftover days on the shoot and said, OK, I need a movie, you know, here, you guys, let's do this. Um, yeah, I I I heard something similar, so um, that would be pretty interesting to know that uh, he, if he actually did go back and try to shoot extra footage, because um, yeah, that that's, uh, that would be pretty interesting. I'd love to, you know, learn a little bit more about that. But uh, yeah, that would be my number ten. So I guess that uh, would be your pick now. Well, sticking with that gothic thing that you were going for with the terror, I'm going to have to go with the Blanchfield monster. I mean, I believe it's one of the better Italian. Uh, horror films of the era and we're lucky from a public domain status that did that it didn't when we signed the the trade when we signed the GATT treaties and some other treaties that somehow that one got exempt and got left out and was never renewed so we're blessed with this great public domain film I think the Blanchfield monster does a excellent job of showing what truly atmospheric horror can do you know on such a low budget with a very compelling story. I just, I liked a lot of the themes. I love the look of the Blanchville monster. And it's just a great use of black and white photography. I actually wish there were some better public domain prints out there in circulation. Indeed. Um, that, that movie will uh, make an appearance on my list as well. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, so kind of uh, fortuitous that um, your choice is um, gothic Italian horror. Uh, my number nine is also um, gothic Italian horror, kind of, like I said, keeping in with uh, some of my favorite, um, one of my favorite areas in the genre. And I have 1965's Faceless Monster, or um, I, I think it goes by maybe another title or something. So, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, this particular series. Um, like I said, I, I, I love gothic core and uh, I, I'm also a, a massive Italian horror fan. So um, Italian gothics are always something that's really appealing to me. And uh, Nightmare Castle is one of uh, my favorites. Kind of a little bit more of a slow burn than normal, but um, once this picks up, I, I, I love it. Um, the family dynamics, the, the uh, interplay that goes on between all the main parties, it, you know, is this small little chamber piece inside this gothic castle and the various little bumps and, you know, creaks in the night. Once it, uh, you figure out what's uh, really going on here, this one really starts and uh, it never really stops in the final act, but... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this one. Uh, I, like I said, I'm a huge fan of uh, Italian gothics in general and, uh, you know, gothic general, gothic horror overall. So, yeah, number uh, nine for me is Nightmare Castle. Definitely an honorable mention on my list. It was just barely outside the top ten. I mean, how can you not love a film with Barbara Steele and Helga Lean, uh, who have both been in some great films, especially the actress Helga Lean, because she is going to be heavily featured in some other movies that are going to be probably on your list and my list. And also I love a character with the name Aerosmith. It's spelled different than the band Aerosmith, but uh, Dr. Aerosmith in uh, Nightmare Castle. I, I enjoyed the heck out of this film. So uh, again, bear, just missed my top 10. Nice. So uh, moving on to number nine. Number nine on my list, and I'm probably going to get a lot of grief about this. I'm going to go with Grave of the Vampire. 
a, you know, just a very unique, very low budget. It is a color film from the 70s. Uh, it, it was just it, it kind of encapsulated like that early 70s horror vibe. William Smith and a very prominent role in it. Uh, I mean, who has a or a baby vampire? I don't want to give any spoiler alerts kind of comes back for revenge and the some of the marketing ploys that were used for the movie. I just enjoyed the heck out of it. I mean, I just thought it was just great. And it had some actual genuine scares and you just can't some of the 70s clothing is so it can look kind of dated now, but it's just a great story. I mean, I really uh, think it's just in that graveyard scene. It's got a great cast. Both of the leads are are just excellent in it, in my opinion. You've got Michael Pataki is a great actor who went on to do some much bigger roles than this. And again, I've always been a big fan of William Smith, who was the lead in it, who's got just ungodly amounts of credits. Nice. Uh, just missed out on mine. Um, it's not on my main list or honorable mentions, but uh, yeah, it just missed out. I I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I, I yeah, I think the offbeat atmosphere kind of adds a lot to it. Um, you know, it's not your traditional vampire film, so it doesn't really play by the normal rules. And uh, you know, the the '70s flair to this one is uh, really kind of interesting, and it kind of, like I said, adds that offbeat feel that uh, you know it's not a traditional kind of a film and it you know it it just feels like a you know its own little entity and it's trying to do something you know it's trying to tell its own story instead of just establish you know following the established uh, convention so yeah it, it's pretty interesting um and not on my list but uh, definitely uh, an interesting one and uh, definitely worth your while Absolutely. Be shot. I think they shot in less than 10 days on $50,000. I mean, that just shows what you can do with great talent and some original ideas despite the budget. For sure. Yeah, definitely agree. So uh, you kind of had one that uh, was a little controversial. Mine is a my number eight is a little controversial just because I think it's going to be um, lower on the list than uh, most others uh, would probably put it. But um, I, I, I do find that there are others uh, that ju are just a scotch better than this one, but uh, number eight for me is 1958 House on Haunted Hill, the Vincent Price classic. So, yeah, um, I, I know that this is probably going to be one of the, uh, you know, more easily accessible ones. It's, you know, in practically any, you know, horror movie collection out there, uh, you know, it's Vincent Price. I, I mean, you know, what what needs to be said, uh, you know, Vincent Price in a horror movie. I mean, that's kind of just like guaranteeing you a fun time anyway, but I, I, I enjoy it. Um, I, I think it plays a little bit too much with its gimmick, which uh, for me, if you're not watching the gimmick version kind of lowers it just a little bit, just, you know, just kind of lowers it back down to where um, it's, you know, placement here is on the list, but uh, even still it's, you know, just a fun time memorable lines fantastic scares um you know in fact one of the greatest jump scares in genre history um but yeah i i i still really enjoy it even without the uh, gimmick version but um overall yeah definitely worth your while if you haven't seen anything from vincent price this is probably the place to start because it's so widely available and widely known but yeah number eight for me is house on haunted hill uh, definitely number six on my list. I, I was going to a little bit higher than that. I think it's availability, the great title. I also think it's one of those movies that probably its legacy 
might have got diminished because the remake was just did was just not up to par with the original. I mean, you you can't yeah. the the original the Ennis the Ennis house they designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, which was used as the exterior that was featured in the film Blade Runner. All the the gimmicks, you know, by the great uh, William Castle, the director. It also had Carol Omart, who was played Vince's prized wife in the movie, who also appeared later in the movie Spider Baby. Uh, again, so many great things going on. I just think it was just a little bit. It was not quite top five, but it was my number six for sure. Nice. Yeah. Uh, like I said, definitely one that uh, maybe like I, like you were saying, like the the legacy is just kind of a, a little bit tarnished from where it uh, should be. But um, it's definitely still worth a uh, worth a watch. So. Yeah, um, you go ahead and uh, do your number eight. Okay, my number eight would be, I think this would be my number seven, I believe. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. My number seven is going to be White Zombie, probably the oldest film on my list from 1932, starring the legendary Bella Lugosi. As far as I'm aware, the first movie with zombie in the title Nothing like the zombies that will will be discussed a little later on, but again, certainly a harbinger of things to come. I love the opening title sequence that they did that in 1932 is kind of amazing. His mesmerizing performance, I know it probably plays a little slow and it's not for it's not everyone's cup of tea. And I know people are always kind of joking. I didn't know there were castles dotting the Haitian countryside, but again, looking at everything that was going on, I mean, I just think. You know, so much things have been learned from that film. I mean, heck, look at Rob Zombie. He took the, the title of his band from uh, the movie White Zombie. So, again, I I just think it has to be in the top ten. Um, yeah, if uh, we're keeping track, number 11. I'm right there and thinking uh, just right along your eyes. Uh, number um, 11 on my list, the first honorable mention. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, it's historical importance is, uh, you know, not to be un- understated. Um, some fantastic imagery, uh, you know, the use of the zombies as slaves rather than, uh, you know, just mindless flesh eating ghouls is uh, a pretty intriguing way to start the uh, genre. It's not one that you would, you know, like you were saying, um, the more traditional and commonly accepted zombies uh, that you're more than likely going to be familiar with is a far cry away from how they're portrayed here. And uh, the, the contrast is pretty intriguing. The storyline is really fun. I really like, you know, the setup with the sister and the family traveling to the plantations. And I mean, like you were saying the the shots are pretty interesting for that time period. Like you didn't see like those kinds of big, large sweeping Vista shots of the zombies in the fields, just mining the, uh, I, I, I think it's the cotton that they were harvesting, right? Because that's a cotton plantation. I believe, it, you're, it, I believe you're right. Is it yeah, cotton it, or sugar cane? I can't remember. I think it might have been a sugar cane. Like I'm saying, yeah, I, I, it has been a while now. It, I, I'm saying it's either cotton or sugar cane, and I, I can't remember. But, um, yeah, the the fields where they're harvesting it all, yeah, the, you don't really see those kinds of shots. So, yeah, there there's a lot to really like here. Um, Like I was saying, number 11 on my list, so I'm definitely right on there with you. So. Um, brings us to um, number seven on my list and uh, intriguing. We mentioned zombies. Um, I figured might as well do it on my list. So uh, I also went with the uh, colorized version here. Um, my number seven is uh, 1973's Messiah of Evil. Um, 
this was actually a uh, intriguing first time watch because uh, I had actually never seen this uh, until we were um, discussing what to, to do. And I, I figured that there was probably one or two that I needed to uh, get in uh, just before we started. And uh, one of them was Messiah of Evil, just because I know that it was one that uh, is it pops up quite often. And uh, wow, I was really impressed with this one um atmosphere is uh barely the word to describe what goes on here just a fantastic setup love the mystery of this weird little town locals with all their offbeat little uh you know eccentricities and you know just the bizarre manner of behavior and then it just goes full bore in the final act and i mean wow there's some fantastic set pieces here um you know the suspense is just uh, ratcheted up perfectly you know everything is just really really uh intriguing and it's uh it's got a lot going on for it so um, i was really impressed with this when i first saw it because yeah this was a first time watch and uh, i'm really glad i put it on the list and uh, gave it a shot because yeah um definitely definitely um, worth your time um number seven for me is messiah of evil great film messiah of evil i'm i'm actually way it's way higher up on my list it's kind of in what i would call the holy trinity of, i believe it yeah i i was really uh, impressed with it yeah i uh, totally believe that holy trinity it's, it's number three on my list uh again an atmospheric gem it's uh makes a lot of best of lists has been named the top one of the top 100 horror films of all time even from yeah, even outside the public domain it's interesting uh there's some great there's some actually some little known documentaries about its making that have kind of started popping up on youtube recently even speaking with the husband and wife directing team of uh gloria katz and william hayek who interestingly did a bunch of films with george lucas in their career but their career in my opinion probably got sidelined when they wrote and directed howard the duck in the 80s so they went from messiah of evil to howard the duck but I mean, the Messiah of Evil, like you said, this small town with these quirky, innovative characters that are just just mesmerizing in a way that the the gro- I don't want to give any any spoilers, but the grocery store scene, the movie. Oh, fantastic. Scene, yeah, those are the, those are amazing. I definitely, definitely agree. The the and I'm not, I don't want this to be a knock or anything that I'm picking on anyone, but the scene with the the albino character and the mouses and things of that nature just in those paintings the house almost became a character in and to itself uh, i totally agree yeah it's uh definitely uh it was uh one that i i hadn't seen before and i wanted to get to and i'm definitely glad i did so yeah i'm uh right there with you and i, I definitely uh definitely appreciated it so yeah we'll move on to uh yeah your next choice that we've already discussed my number six, which was going to be House on Haunted Hill. So my number five, and this was one that I struggled. I didn't. I, I almost made it a little higher, but I, I was just kind of torn on this one. I'm gonna have to go with City of the Dead, also known as Horror Hotel. It's uh, a fantastic film with just a atmosphere the town of whitewood and the fog i mean i've never seen a movie with so much fog almost becomes a character in the witchcraft and again there was a monologue from the film that rob zombie used in a song and venetia stevens character is just amazing and the story the old style new england 
witchcraft, Salem witch trials kind of vibe that permeates the whole movie. And again, the fact that they pulled most of this off on sound stages is just it's kind of it's just breathtaking in a way to watch, even though it kind of has somewhat of a soap opera TV look to it. It just is very engrossing. Uh, yeah, I completely agree because we will be discussing that one in due time. So uh, for my next pick, uh, for my number six, um, I'm going back to uh, my gothic horror roots, um, going back to, uh, you know, Italian horror and uh, adding Vincent Price to the mix, which uh, is uh, just an absolute uh, delight and uh, the recipe for a good time. So I went with 1964's The Last Man on Earth. Um yeah, yeah, one of the prototype vampire films, uh, you know, another prototype zombie film, even uh, to follow up on the previous films we discussed. Just an uh, just a fantastic time, uh, you know, uh, an adaptation of uh, the Omega Man or I Am Legend or uh, I, I forget what the actual story is called. I think it is I Am Omega, correct? I know. I believe it is I Am Legend. I believe it's uh that's a uh, Richard Matheson was the writer right. on those. I believe it is. I am legend. I believe I don't, uh, don't quote me on that though. Exactly. So. Yeah. I, I've, I've never, I know it. One, I know one of the two adaptations is the actual title, but yeah, I've never, I, I, I still, uh, I still need to figure that one out for myself, but um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, great adaptation here. Fantastic work by price. Uh, you know, some great atmosphere, the you know loneliness and desperation that he feels being the only man um you know around until he meets the other woman but um again not no real spoilers but yeah just an overall fantastic time uh you know you can't go wrong with vincent price uh, i wish he had more films in the public domain but uh you know you can't go wrong with anything that's on display here so uh my number six is the last man on earth I, yeah, certainly an honorable mention for me. I don't know if it would be number 11 or number 12 as an honorable mention. I mean, it's fascinating film. It's one of those films that also, unlike where the sequels, the, the sequels to, not even the really sequels, the, the remakes or the, I wouldn't even call them remakes. I would just say different adaptations of the Richard Matheson. Yeah, I, like I said, uh, I, I don't consider those to be remakes. Um, I, I think what you were saying is, uh, you know, adaptations, uh, I, I think that would probably be the closest term because we have terms for everything, but I don't know what the, the proper term for this one would be, ironically. I, I guess it's I, unlike a lot of films where the remake or the uh, subsequent adaptation kind of harms the original. I just think that the remakes were just so much bigger budget, so different that it almost... I don't want to say it makes this one more overlooked. It's just it's more of hidden because the the subsequent adaptations are so so much. I want to say better is not the right word, but they're just such a bigger budget films or just. I think bigger, yeah, bigger is a definitely better term. They're just such bigger bigger productions, and they just they almost kind of swallow the very first adaptation of it again. But I love the you know shot in Rome. Uh, Vincent Price, you can't go wrong with a movie with Vincent Price in it again. It's certainly an honorable mention. And again, it spawns so much stuff. But, but an interesting thing that I that when I you know, I've hosted this film and in the four, it was a very well received episode. But I was doing my research on it, that the film actually was a was a influence on George A. Romero, which a film I know that we're going to discuss a little later on when you can influence George Romero. I mean, you've certainly done something. 
Indeed, yeah. Um, fantastic pick there. So I guess we'll uh, move on to your next choice. Since we've already discussed uh, my number five, and we're on to number four for me, and that would be Silent Night, Bloody Night uh, from 1972, directed by Theodore Gashani, uh, a film that, in my opinion, could easily be ranked in the top three. A lot of people give me grief on that, but because I believe that this was probably doesn't get its due as a very early slasher. I know everyone talks about, you know, Black Christmas being the first slasher film. If you watch Silent Night, Bloody Night, you'll see the te- the an- anonymous phone calls, the point of view of the killer shots, you know, using the house as a as a character into itself. And again, you have these amazing performances by, you know, a genre legend like Mary Warrenoff. Uh, it has John Carradine and it. it has all these quirky characters in this small town and then just all the the butler mansion itself and then you just then it kind of morphs in it throws in all these Andy Warhol factory stars like you know Candy Darling and people like that it just it just has so much stuff going on i mean it's to me it's it's holiday horror it has atmosphere uh it's just celebrated its 50th anniversary there was a great article in fangoria magazine about it and you know we after our cinema got a mention i'm just thrilled to death to have any kind of reference in fangoria magazine again great article i think it's a film that does not get its due for its influence on the slasher genre i mean we're talking about a film that predates black christmas i'm not saying it's black christmas quality or anything to take away from earlier slashes but i think I think a lot of elements were taking from Silent Night, Bloody Night. Not bad, yeah. Um, I, I think this would be uh, number 12 or 13 um, on my list. It's an honorable mention for sure. Um, I, I I completely agree. Um, just, you know, the overlooked, you know, that, you know, that weird proto-slasher thriller kind of a film um i mean you can probably count um you know a handful of the early giallos in there as well with this kind of the not quite the psycho thrillers but they're not quite slashers either um i i equate this kind of like another early film um beyond the fog or um tower of london or um horror of snape island what am i thinking idiot um, you know, another one of those early films that just kind of breaches what, uh, you know, an early slasher film should look like. But, um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, again, you know, it even like you were saying, you know, beats, uh, you know, the early slasher. It's also, um, you know, overlooked as terms of holiday horror. Um, it's, the, you know, the first Christmas set slasher movie because Black Christmas is 74 and everybody always credits that one as one of the first. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's one of the overlooked genre fare. It made my honorable mentions. Um, again, it's number 11 or number 12 or 13, I, but. Absolutely. I just have to echo what you were saying. Even those little small things, like even when they were like reading off the tombstones and the things of that nature and the, the killer coming back, it happening on an anniversary or, you know, 30 years later, it's just, again, the. And just the the weird characters, like the John Carradine mute character. What yes. a quirky character to throw in there. Again, I, it just doesn't get its due. I mean, it certainly needs to be certainly in any top list of any holiday horror, no doubt. For sure, definitely. 
So uh, we're going to move to mime number five. And uh, this is the other first time watch. Um, one that uh, I could have, I would have sworn up and down that I had seen this. Um, and I had absolutely uh, you know, no clue that I, I missed it. Um, like I said, I had seen it around so many times. Uh, I had seen it in clips. I had seen it on shows. I, I could have sworn that I had seen this, you know, not one that I had a lot of recognition of, but um, yeah, I, I would have told you up and down that I had seen this. And apparently I didn't because uh, in filling out, you know, the, the watch for the show, um, I, I missed it completely. So uh, number five for me is 1962's Carnival of Souls. Um, yeah, uh, just I, like we were saying earlier with Messiah of Evil, just this bizarre off-kilter atmosphere. And you don't know for sure what's going on. I think it's one of those where it's all built up in the twist and, you, you know, you realize what uh, is actually happening and, you know, all these strange events and, you know, the figure that's following her this entire time and all of these bizarre ha encounters and happenings. And then you finally get to the, the ending reveal and you realize what's really going on. And uh, to me, it's, I, I don't know if it would be like the first twist ending. Um, I, I think there probably would have been a few others that uh, had played with this kind of an idea earlier, but uh, yeah, I, I would have absolutely sworn that I'd seen this, but I, I was absolutely overjoyed to find out that I hadn't because I got to see this for the first time. And yeah, it, it was a, a trip. I, I enjoyed myself so, uh, so much throughout the course of this. Just, you know, the bizarre imagery, the musical score is fantastic and just, you know, it complements the imagery so well and just creates this chilling vibe. And yeah, I, I was so glad that I, I actually gave a chance to revisit this because I don't know if I would have been able to talk about it if I hadn't seen it. So yeah, um, definitely one to, uh, I, I can say I've uh, crossed off my list for for sure now. So number five is uh, Carnival of Souls. I can't say enough great things about Carnival of Souls. It's one of those films, in my opinion, that it falling, falling into the public domain probably helped secure its legacy it's one of the few public domain horror films that have been added to the Criterion collection. I mean, if you only ever to direct one film and Herc Harvey, the director only made one feature film, what a heck of a first, uh, what a heck of a first and only film to feature film to make. Uh, you mentioned that, that score, the, the, the Oregon music score is just haunting and chilling in itself. Candace Hillegoss does a great job. I mean, I, Again, Criterion Collection. What else do you need to say? Absolutely yeah. top public domain horror film. For sure. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, we're moving on to your number three. I actually think I might have misnumbered something earlier because I think I skipped ahead earlier. I think we're I think because because I think because uh, you mentioned that um, my pick beat yours. So I think you kind of skipped over the number. I think I did skip. I need to kind of go back and I think we might technically be at number four. Four, a uh, number four now, uh, and I'm gonna go. I've got to, I've got to throw in Horror Express. I mean, an absolute classic. Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. We have an alien on a Trans-Siberian train. We have Telly Sabalas as this bald-headed Cossack captain. We have. It has vibes of the thing from another world. It has, you know, we have, you know, Russian nobles on the train. We have this strange creature that's morphing. We have two horror legends trying to track it down. 
and you have this claustrophobic atmosphere with this barreling train going across Siberia with a standout cast. I mean, easily top five public domain horror. I'm going, even though I kind of got my numbers off a little bit, I'm going to I'm going to go with uh, number four on it. OK, it's just standout, standout horror, a horror host, horror historian favorite, uh, just celebrated its 50th anniversary. There's been a lot of pe- people who've added extra scenes to it, done a lot of great things for it. But how can you not like a movie with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee? I mean, it's, with this kind of story. Yeah, you really can't. Um, and I will discuss that uh, in due time. So, uh, yeah, we'll move on to my number four. And uh, you had just mentioned this one. And uh, now it's my turn to uh, praise love on City of the Dead. Man, uh, wow, this uh, just a, a fantastic atmosphere here. Um, I, I mean, my love of gothic horror should uh, have shined through, uh, quite frankly, by now. But uh, I mean, just, you know, the the classic fog and shrouded cityscapes, you know, the whole witchcraft angle, which uh, they, again, not, that shouldn't be too much of a spoiler. Um, they treat it as such, but it's really not when you look into it. But yeah, um, the, the full reveal of that is just chilling. And yeah, uh, Christopher Lee doing Christopher Lee things, being shady as all hell. It's just a fantastic time. And uh, yeah, I, I, I completely echo everything you've said about it and more. So uh, number four for me is City of the Dead. Again, it just goes to show you what you can do with minimal sets and minimal budgets with a great cast. And again, it's just great storytelling. I mean, again, yeah. if you haven't seen City of the Dead, go out and watch it. You might find it under uh, the title Horror Hotel. I, to me, City of the Dead is a much better title. I don't know how the whole Horror Hotel thing ever got started. But again, great, great film. Uh, and definitely, I'm sensing a certain, definitely a gothic trend here in these picks, though. <laughs> like I was saying, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of gothic horror. So, yeah, that, that, the, that's, that a, did... that's, a, that's a great genre to be a fan of, though. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we'll move on to uh, your next choice. Okay, uh, trying to get back on track here. Uh, my next choice, and we is going to be. We've already kind of discussed it, but again, Messiah of Evil was my number three pick. Uh, again, uh, routinely included in uh, the list of best horror films ever made. The atmosphere, those characters, just the city of Point Doom. Again, it just it's actually in its 50th anniversary year. It was released in 1973. Uh, again, Anitra Ford, Mariana Hill, who uh, who also was in another great public domain film called The Astral Factor and actually was in The Godfather. Uh, again, one of the things that I liked about it was the character uh, who was in House on Haunted Hill has a character kind of playing a neurotic, kind of explaining what was going on in Point Doom and just a, a very different take on the zombie genre as well. I mean, they were not the traditional Night of the Living Dead style zombies, which kind of proliferated that. I know we're going to talk about that film, obviously, soon. But again, uh, Messiah of Evil, it's worth to watch it for the atmosphere. You know, what is really behind Messiah of Evil? Who is the man in black that's featured in the film? I mean, is it is it a dream? So again, you know, you definitely need to watch watch it. It certainly deserves all the praise and then some. Uh, indeed, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I spoke about it earlier, so I'm definitely on board with that. All right, so uh, moving on to my number three, um, we mentioned this one earlier, and uh, now it's my turn uh, again to 
heap tons and tons and tons of praise on the Blancheville monster. I absolutely unequivocally love this. Um, I think this is just a shade below Bava and uh, what he was doing at that time. Um, I, I just I, I fell in love with this one the first time I saw it uh, years and years ago. Um, just a, a fantastic time. The setup is just absolutely dripping with that fantastic melodrama. You know, the weird interplay with the, uh, you know, the friends coming over to visit and the staff being new there, but nobody really trusts each other. And there's all these shady dealings going on behind the scenes that, you know, who's really in league with who, who's really in control of who, who's, you know, you know, who's really in charge of the uh, household. And then, you know, you throw in this mystery about why this, you know, strange tomb and all of the, you know, various happenings that go on inside and you meet this, you know, ghost and there's this monster involved and oh, it, it just lit me in. Uh, it just hit me in all the right places. And yeah, uh, you know, Italian doing gothic horror in a castle. Uh, I, I'm in heaven. Just inject that into my veins as often as you can. Uh, number three for me is the Blancheville monster. Maybe a controversial choice, but uh, I, like I said, Italian gothics just hit me in every single one of my boxes. And uh, this one is one of my all-time favorites. So I am so glad that this is a, a public domain choice and uh, everybody has a chance to see it. So number three for me is the Blancheville monster. Certainly echo a lot of those sentiments. I certainly believe that is an underrated, uh, you know, Italian Gothic horror, European Gothic horror for, you know, because it, obviously it's, I think there are some, I think it might, some of it might actually have been filmed in Spain or it might've been an Italian Spanish co-production. Great film, uh, certainly underrated. I don't think I would put it in the top five, but certainly a top, a top 10, uh, certainly, you know, right up there. Yeah. Just like you said, just a shade under, you know, Mario Bava and, and some of yeah. those other great Italian directors. Just, you know, great, uh, great job of the great job. Yeah, of the, very I, enjoyable. Yeah, I, I think Bava, Fredo, um, Bava, Ricardo Freda and uh, Antonio Margheriti kind of take up a lot of my top five of the Italian gothics. But in the bottom half of a uh, top five Italian horror, uh, Italian gothic horror list, uh, this one's definitely uh, in there in that conversation. So yeah, uh, we'll move on to your next choice. That my next choice will be my n the number two on my list would be one that we discussed that was in your I believe it was your number five if I remember correctly. Again, it's Carnival of Souls, a Criterion Collection movie with Candace Hillegas, directed by Herc Harvey, done on a minuscule budget. Uh, one of those films, like I said earlier, I believe that it falling into the public domain. And being resurrected by just repeated late night TV showings and that haunting performance by the lead actress and just even the director himself, Herc Harvey, playing the ghoul and that that sequence out of that salt air pavilion with everyone dancing mm. and that organ score. It's just mesmerizing, just great atmospheric filmmaking, almost like an art film in a way. Not a bad shout. Yeah. Um, it, you know, maybe not like what you would uh, assume, like when we say art, you know, an art house or art, you know, arty horror film, not like what you would think of like by today's standards, but definitely for the time period, I can definitely see that uh, label being thrown around for this. My, yeah, my, I, oh, yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah, um, I think just uh, because uh, we will both have the uh, same number one and we can uh, discuss it together, um, I will briefly mention my number two, which is uh, Horror Express. Uh, I, I mean, Cushing and Lee together, just uh, that, that that is uh, one of my all-time favorites uh, styles right there. Um, just a fantastic setup. Love everything that happens in there, but um, I, I, I think it's uh, just almost unanimous that um, you and I will both have the uh, same choice, and uh, we can uh, discuss the merits of Night of the Living Dead together as one, shall we? Absolutely. Uh, again, hands down, I, th I don't think there can be any dispute that it's the greatest public domain film ever. I mean, it falling into the public domain by failure to include a copyright notice, in my opinion, is, you know, what a great gift to the public domain. What a great gift to, you know, to the American, you know, uh, to the world's film audience, this great film that you can show without worrying about it. It just cemented the status of George A. Romero, even though it lapsed in the public domain. This film has been such an influential, it totally changed the whole genre of zombies becoming these flesh-eating creatures and the the probably one of the last great black and white horror films as well. We kind of overlook that this in 1967, that was black and white film feature films were kind of on their last leg. And this was, again, this was just film showing what you can do with a low budget and original idea. And I, I thought it was great. You also had, it was kind of groundbreaking in some of the things that it did. I, you know, I'm not aware of any kind of, uh, horror films of that genre you had a you know african-american leading man in the movie you had you know you had this farmhouse setting you had all these this intermixing of all these different characters and there just had not been a film like it before and look at its legacy and what it spawned i mean again it's been showed countless times you know everywhere around the world somebody somewhere is watching night of the living dead right now i yeah, yeah, I can. I wish I could copy paste that uh, same response, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the legacy, the historical significance. Um, I mean, what you mentioned as well, one of the last black and white films to send the style off on a, you know, just a, a, an absolutely incredible bang. Um, you know, a, again, to format a genre and be seen as the the groundwork for what we know of as a genre today because very few have actually ever deviated from the format that this movie set up i mean you know that 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 alone just counts for so much and you, when you look at the film even if you don't know it if you just pop on a film and say hey what do you think of this i i can't imagine that you know you'll find a person that's actually bored with this i mean the the storytelling is fantastic the characters are amazing the interplay is just so well written the family dynamics at play you know you've got you know ben and you know the the girl upstairs and you've got the family downstairs and all of the you know, the rivalry who's the head of the household who's making the plans who's you know second and who's second and i i mean you know that stuff is just fantastic you see a lot of you know, a lot of those influences carried on today and then you get to the zombie scenes themselves and you realize just, you know, how in just absolutely chilling this stuff is. I mean, the first 20 minutes are just a masterclass of suspense right there. The chasing, the, you know, just the, the sheer confusion of everything that's happening. All of the just, you know, 
all of the you know the sequences that happen later where you see the hordes just piling into the house and just ripping people to pieces i mean that's carried on a you know it's a staple of the format to this day and uh you know it all started here i mean you literally can say it all started here and there's very few films where you can say that about and uh you know night of the living dead is absolutely one of them so i i yeah i i was probably like you i think i probably said night of the living dead now what's two through ten no doubt i mean again we're talking about a film that has been so significant i don't know of any other public domain or even low budget films of this low this it's so low budget that entered the library of congress the national film registry because it's so historically and culturally significant i mean we're talking about a low budget film that spawned a whole genre influenced countless filmmakers again i mean no nobody had ever made zombies cannibals and the way they would rush in and devour people i mean that even the like you said it starts off even strong that opening scene we're coming to get you barbara in the cemetery everyone knows that scene it's just it's almost become a, a part of pop culture in americana night of the living dead and you only have to thank for it because it fell into the public domain thankfully they were thankfully they forgot to include the copyright symbol and entered the public domain upon release so yeah <laughs> but uh yeah uh this is a uh end of the list so um the we guess we will uh, mention any uh, other honorable choices. Just, uh, you know, shout out a few other additional films just to, uh, you know, share some love, even if they're, uh, you know, not top 10 worthy, but uh, still something that people should uh, seek out and give their time to. Oh, absolutely. Again, I would consider it kind of a horror slash sci-fi. I mentioned it early, earlier. Idaho Transfer would certainly be just outside the uh, the top 10 as a great public domain film. I would also say probably another one is probably The Devil's Partner. It's uh, or probably, I think it was filmed in the late 50s, but not released until 1961. Uh, has a kind of a Faustian bargain, very low budget, but very well done. Uh, uh, another great public domain film that has a, an A-list star in it is Man in the Attic, kind of a Jack the Ripper film starring the great Jack Palance can't go wrong with that uh i would also recommend if you haven't seen it night tide with Den a very young dennis hopper black and white film uh a, more of a surreal kind of definitely a horror film but has a lot of things going on with it just can't say enough great things about night tide it's been i think it might have got selected for preservation by the motion picture academy as well so um a lot of people always are quick to mention a bucket of blood with dick miller i would consider bucket of blood almost more kind of a horror comedy which i kind of avoided for this list but certainly you know an honorable mention nonetheless yeah definitely um i had devil's partner and uh, bucket of blood on mine as well so i'm definitely on board with those and um, another one that I had um, was uh, Dementia 13, uh, another of those early proto slashers that, uh, I, again, that maybe not necessarily has all of the features intact, but uh, is definitely another, you know, we're on the right path. Let's go from here kind of a film. So. Oh, absolutely. I think that was Francis Ford Coppola's actually. I know he directed some other stuff for Corman. Right. Yeah. Um, put his name on. So. Yeah, I think Great. that. I think I have heard that 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 was his uh, a feature length debut. I don't, I know he doesn't consider it um, his debut, but um, as as you were saying, yeah, feature length debut. I think that 
he does consider it to be dementia 13 or that, at least the, the public does uh, to a lesser extent but yeah I, yeah go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt you no, I was going to say, yeah, um, I don't know um, if he actually likes the film or not, but uh, I definitely think that uh, a lot of scholars do consider it to be one of the first. Yeah, he actually he recut the, an old Soviet film into Battle Beyond the Sun and used a fake name for that. He directed what extra footage was. I think another film that we have to mention kind of a, I wouldn't say it's a slasher, but it certainly has some slasher elements and kind of the first kind of early prototype sorority style horror film is sisters of death from 1977 uh great revenge flick uh secluded location a lot of great elements in sisters of death gets a little outlandish but you got to kind of admire some of the themes that are in it definitely um all right so uh, i guess that will be the uh, end of the show so thank you so much for this this was uh, a lot of fun and uh, i definitely appreciated the uh, get together to uh, discuss these fine films that uh, maybe some of them have been overlooked absolutely thanks for having me on as a guest and again uh enjoy your podcast and thank you for uh having me and again i think that we did a great job kind of distilling it down i think there's obviously room always room for argument but again when you're when you're talking films you can't help but have a great time Exactly. So uh, one last time, in case people mentioned it, let them know where they can uh, find you and your work online. Oh, you can find us uh, on Ocean 7 TV. Uh, we we also have a Facebook page. We're on Instagram and Twitter, all at After Hours Cinema. We're also syndicated probably on about 25 stations coast to coast. But I, I would consider our flagship stations to be Ocean 7, which is a broadcast uh, TV station out of Ocean Springs, Mississippi, WXVO, as well as Channel 48 WWON out of New York, Channel 48. And we're also going to be coming to a another WWON affiliate in Los Angeles, hopefully in the spring. Uh, again, we're also, we sometimes simulcast episodes on YouTube. Uh, we sometimes air on the Monster Channel. But the best way to catch us is to follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We're a little more active there than we are on Facebook. But again, Find us on Instagram. You won't be disappointed. Our episodes are a lot of public domain, but we also show a lot of great uh, indie horror films. Uh, also got some other projects that are coming out. I've uh, been filming some short films. Uh, was recently filmed a bit for an Eric Brusso film, film for Michael Rodriguez, another great horror director. Just a lot of things going on. So just just catch us on Instagram. And I will have uh, links to that in the show notes for you to check out uh, for Sam. So like I was saying, uh, thank you again for joining me. Thank you again for uh, listening to the show. And we will be back next time with a new topic. So until then, take care.